following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Take your copy of God's Word and open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Last week we just started a series on hearing from the Lord. We're asking God to open our ears. And the first question we opened up with last week is, why does God speak to us? God speaks to us to give us warnings. God speaks to us to to let us know that He wants to be a part of our lives in fellowship with us uh, in many different ways. We're going to look at a man, and my goal for this whole series is to start off in the book of Genesis and go all the way through to Revelation, revealing to you people that God has spoken to, why he spoke to them during those certain times. What was the message uh, that he spoke to them? What were they doing at the time to hear God's voice so clearly? Uh, I think that a lot of times we as Christians, we forget that God is a, a intimate God. He's a God that wants to have close fellowship with us and he wants to speak to us and he gives us clear warning but there are some things in your life that you need to do we talked about praying and fasting in Sunday school this morning there are some things that you can do on a personal level to hear God's voice clearer than ever before today we're going to be looking at a man by the name of Noah and I think you're going to see through what we read in the scriptures um, that God chose Noah at a specific time, for a specific reason. And we see that throughout history. If you're reading through our chronological Bible that we uh, started on at the first of the year, we're going through uh, the book of Kings and Chronicles, and we see that God spoke through godly kings, righteous kings, kings that wanted to start uh, renewal and restoration and a reformation in their kingdom. And God spoke through them at, at, at just the right time. And he also sent the prophets during those times as well. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, a verse that I use quite often. We're going to read it, and then we're going to read about this man by the name of Noah. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Uh, if you don't have this verse highlighted in your Bible, there's a, a few prominent words in it, but the whole verse itself pretty much wraps up in a nutshell what faith is all about and why our faith is so important, and it leads into the faith of this man named Noah. Hebrews eleven six says this. It says, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Highlight or underline that word impossible because the word of God, a lot of times we're looking to see what the God, word of God says. I want us to think about what the word of God does not say here. It does not say improbable. It does not say difficult. It does not say highly unlikely, but it says without faith it is impossible. You cannot, will not, and never will please God without faith. The writer of Hebrews makes that emphatic in this one statement. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's two very important words in that verse. Impossible. And diligently seeking God. Because I think we see that in our story of Noah today. How diligent he was in pursuing God. Verse 7, we get into the faith of Noah. 
If you don't know it by now, Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. It talks about many patriarchs, men and women throughout the Bible that God used in mighty and powerful ways. But it says of this man by the name of Noah, it says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Heavenly Father, we come before you today thanking you so much for your word. We thank you for this example of Noah that we have, Lord God, and how you choose to speak through certain people at certain times. When situations are out of hand, Lord God, when you have something unique you want to do or say, Lord, we want to be like Noah. We want to be someone who stands out in our culture in our day and time by being obedient and faithfully following you. So I pray, Lord God, that you'll help us to glean from your word today what you want to speak to us about growing our faith and living in these dark times. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. As a Christian, does your conduct matter? Absolutely, positively, it does make a difference. Not only for yourself, not only in your ability to hear from God, but also for the people within the realm of your influence as well. Brother Lawrence was a monk back in the 1600s, and he wrote this book called The Practice and the Presence of God. And in it, he noted this. He said, blind as we are, we hinder God and stop the current of his graces. But when he finds a soul penetrated with a lively faith, he pours into it his graces and favors plentifully. There they flow like a torrent, which after being forcibly stopped against its ordinary course, when it has found a passage, spreads itself with impetuosity and abundance. The practice in the presence of God. When God finds that certain person that is sold out to him, when they are known by our culture and today as a Jesus freak, when someone who is living the life that God has called them to live, God says, that's the person that I want to speak to. And that's the person that I want to do a mighty work through. So Noah was a man that stood out during his generation. And the Hebrew of, uh, the writer of Hebrews states that he became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah lived to be 950 years old. And his name means rest. Kind of ironic, don't you think, since he was given this task of building this great ark, this huge boat like no one has ever seen before. I think Noah got very little rest during his day and time when God spoke to him and called him out. Very little is known about Noah and his life prior to the building of the ark. Yet we find in Genesis 6, you can turn to Genesis 6, we'll be referring to that uh, as we march through this outline. Uh, we find out in Genesis 6 that the culture uh, in his day and time, it was just evil. It was corrupt. And Noah, because of his righteousness, because of his faith, stood out more than anyone else in his day and time. Noah lived a life 
worthy of capturing God's attention. So if you're here today and you say, Brother Tracy, I just can't live the life that I need to live for the Lord because of what's going on in this world around me. Let me tell you, you haven't seen anything. I don't think what we're dealing with today even compares to what Noah was dealing with during his day and time. Yet during his day and time, as corrupt and as evil as man was, Noah lived a life that was noted because of his righteousness and because of his faith as well. Could it be said that as evil as the world is today, God is still looking for people? Could it be said that as evil as today is, God is still wanting to speak to people? And could it be said that as evil as our culture is today, God is wanting to work through people who have their eyes fixed on him. They're doing the best that they can to live a godly, righteous, pure, and holy life. And could it be that possibly the tide in today's culture could be shifted through people like that? I think that we see that in Noah's case and in others throughout scriptures that that is a resounding, yes, he can. Yes, he will, and yes, he does. We see that in Noah's case and others throughout Scripture that God does speak to certain people at certain times when he desires to provide a measure of grace during unstable times. We're going to note four different things in the book of Genesis chapter 6 about what was going on and what God did through Noah's time and during that evil generation. Let's read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 6, and we'll kind of set the stage for it. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and that they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. I have a feeling that that's what God is saying about our day and time right now. I have a feeling sometimes he sees what's going on and he shakes his head and says, You know what? I've just about had all I could stand to this. And that's exactly what was going on in day, uh, Noah's day and time. God said, Yet his days shall be 120 years. Some commentators say that that's as long as I'm going to let man live. No one will reach the age of 120 years or after that. Some people say that this is how long that Noah took to build the ark and that people had that much time to repent of their ways. No matter what, God set a time limit on the lifespan of man. Whether it was their typical age or the end of 120 years is when the rains came. You can look at it either way. There were giants on the earth in these days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast, 
creeping thing and birds of the air. For I'm sorry that I have made them. Here's the good part. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Several things I want you to notice in that particular passage. First of all, when God looked upon the earth, what did he see? He saw the wickedness of man. Not only did he see their evil actions and their deeds, but he saw the intents of their heart as well. So that lets us know that God was searching. He was looking for something in particular. And then when his eyes fell upon Noah, for some reason, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So I truly believe that today God is looking for something in particular. He's looking for lives that are wholeheartedly devoted toward him. But what we learn in this particular passage is this. Back to verse 3. He put a time limit on it. He said, I'm not going to tolerate with this much longer. Point number one. Sometimes God speaks to certain people at certain times, especially when... Man's sinful ways are no longer tolerated. You see, there's going to come a time when God will draw a line in the sands of time. And he's going to say, that's enough. That's it. It's all over with. Right now, we are living in the age of grace. We still have the opportunity to repent. We still have the opportunity to turn towards God. We're still here. We're living. We're breathing. The gospel is still being presented. We're still sending missionaries out. But there's going to come a point in time, no man knows the hour of the day, not even the angels in heaven, but only God himself, when God will draw a line in the sands of time and say, that's it, it's all over with. See, everything has an expiration date. Our lives have an expiration date. From the moment you're born, God already knows how long your days on this earth are going to be. And this world has an expiration date as well. The Bible clearly talks that in the end times, all the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat. As we're going to see here in just a little while, when God flooded the earth during Noah's days, God said, I've destroyed the earth one time by water. He said, I'm never going to do that again. The next time it's going to be with fire. But around your house, when you look around your house, in your refrigerator, in your pantry, pretty much everything that you have has an expiration date on it. They know how long it's going to last. I don't know. You, but the first thing I do when I go to the refrigerator, I get that gallon of milk out. Boy, that's the first thing I do. I check out that expiration date. Now, how do they know that it's going to go bad on exactly that date? They don't. There's a lot of different variables that determine that. But how many of you check the uh, expiration date on stuff before you ever even pop the lid over? We all do. What's the general rule of thumb at your house? When in doubt, throw it out. <laughs> if you have no because the last thing I want to do is pop this lid and smell a jug full of curdled milk. I most definitely don't want to taste it. I don't want to pour it in my coffee. I don't want to put it on my cereal. But everything that you have in there, salad dressing, your eggs, and for to extend that expiration date, what do they do? They put preservatives in it. They put artificial ingredients in it to make it last longer. But let me tell you something. This world we're living in, it's got an expiration date on it as well. And God's only going to tolerate so much. Even for the individual, God's only going to tolerate so much. He's only going to give you so many chances to repent. Right now, you have the opportunity. You could come down to this altar right now if you wanted to and say, God, forgive me. 
I want to give my life to you. I want to turn my life around. I want you to save me. And he will do that. And you're here today for a reason. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel message. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of God's love. Maybe this is the first time God has really spoken to you as clearly as he's speaking to you right now. And you have the opportunity to either repent or turn your back on God and say, no, not right now. But you're not going to get that opportunity too often. You only have a certain amount of time in which God will say, the door's open, you can repent, but one of these days, that door's going to be closed and your opportunity's going to be over with. But sometimes when God's uh, when God is tired of what's going on, he's, he's done it with kingdoms. He's done it with nations. He's done it with civilizations. He's done it with empires. He said, you know what? That's it. It's over with. You're gone. When Jonah went to the city of Nineveh, what did he say? Forty days. You got 40 days to repent or else this city is going to be wiped out. He put a time limit on it. During the days when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, God says to let my people go. Ten plagues later is when Pharaoh finally softened his heart and let the Hebrew people go. But God had a limit. He had a time. He had an expiration date. He said, Pharaoh, you've only got so many chances. And on the 10th plague, Pharaoh said, okay, you got me right where you want me. And each and every one of us, when we're born, we have so many opportunities before us to give our lives to the Lord. And God's not going to tolerate it beyond that. But here in the time of Noah's time, uh, man's sinful ways, they weren't tolerated any longer. God said, no, that's it. I've had all I can stand and I can't stand anymore. I've been looking, I've been looking, I've been looking. All I see is wickedness. All I see is evil intents of the heart. But this one man right here has captured my attention. In the eyes of the Lord, Noah found grace. The next thing that we see, I think, is one of the most important ones. God speaks to certain people at certain times. When a person's faith is validated. Tracy, what do you mean by that? What, what does it take to capture God's attention? What kind of testing does a person need to endure to be found faithful? Here's what God saw in Noah. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, if you want to write this down. Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Not only was he a man that could build a big ship, but during the time he was building that big ship, he was preaching to the people. He would say, look, God's judgment is coming to you. You still have time to repent. And in the time that it built him, uh, took for him to build that boat, he was preaching righteousness to the people. Hebrews eleven seven that we read just a moment ago said that he became the heir of righteousness. Genesis 6, 9 right here that we just read, it points out that he wasn't in a group of righteous people. He could have easily said, I'm under the influence of, of evil people. I can't live the life that I need to live. But Genesis 6 points out that he was the only blameless person found alive on the face of the earth that God could speak to. 
that would move with godly fear and respond to the directions that the Lord is about to give him. Noah walked with God and in his generation, as wicked and as evil as it was, he lived a purchase, uh, a perfect, righteous, and holy life. Enough so that it was validated by God. And God said, that's a man that I can use to accomplish my plan. Let me stop right here and say this. If you think that your walk and your conduct aren't important, you need to think again. You need to look back at the good kings of the nation of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem. King Asa, King Josiah. We just read about those if you're going through the chronological Bible. They did what was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And their nation was blessed because of it. You may be the only one in your family that has taken a stand. And if you've taken a stand for God, if you've taken a stand for righteousness, you're probably not the most popular one in your family as well. I would have to think that in Noah's time, people avoided him. I would have to think that in Noah's time, that as he was preaching, they laughed at him, they mocked him. They made fun of him. They probably caused him a, a crazy religious fanatic, whatever the case may be. But they took notice of what he was doing, and so did God. Noah's faith in God was noticed not only by the people of his generation, but by God himself. And it was validated, and through it, not only Noah's entire family, there were eight people that entered the ark, not only did his entire family survive God's wrath and God's judgment. But in essence, the entire human race was preserved through one man's righteousness. How has your faith been validated lately? How many times have you had to take a stand for your Christian rights, your Christian privileges, how many times has God said, look, this is the last opportunity that you're going to get I'm fixing to wipe out your family, but I see this one person is still faithfully pursuing me. And because of that one person's faithfulness, I'm going to give this family an opportunity and a chance. Maybe an entire city, I don't know. But I'd have to think that in our nation today, God is looking for people, a remnant, a peculiar people, a people who are devoted to him, and for some reason or another, God's hand of wrath has not fallen upon the United States of America because of our faith. God says there's still a remnant there that wants to see revival. And I'm going to hold back my judgment and my wrath for just a little bit longer and give them an opportunity. Next we see this. This was verses 8 through 12. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. But Noah, his faith was validated and Noah found grace 
in the eyes of the Lord. Next we see that when God does find someone who is totally devoted to him, that is when his plan is communicated through that person. God speaks to certain people at specific times when God's ultimate plan needs to be communicated. God said, I found a willing person. I have found an obedient heart. I have found a life that has been validated by his righteousness. And now it's time to initiate my plan. Beginning in verse 13, it says that God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and it's height 30 cubits. In the rest of that passage, he, he, he gives Noah the specific details of how he wants this ship built, this ark that he's going to secure all of his family through. So even during the wicked days of Noah's generation, God had a plan. It wasn't anything that Noah could have dreamed up himself, but God was speaking to Noah directly. He found an obedient heart. He found someone whose faith had been validated through his righteous ways of living, even during that evil and corrupt generation. And now he is communicating to Noah. Let me ask you this. When's the last time God has told you to do something specific? Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you never have. Why not? What's going on to keep you from hearing God's voice? Are you committing enough personal time every day for God to communicate with you? Maybe he has a plan for your family. Maybe he has a plan for your church. Maybe he has a plan for your community. And if you're not taking enough intentional time to sit alone and hear from God, you'll never allow him to communicate that plan to you. Does God speak to people today? Absolutely. Has God spoken to you recently? I don't know. How did God speak with Noah? Other than God just coming and face-to-face talking to Noah, we don't know exactly. We don't know if it came through a dream. We don't know if he just plopped the blueprints down right in front of Noah. We we don't know, but it said that God spoke to Noah and gave him these detailed instructions. Genesis does not give the details, but it points out that Noah walked with God. To walk with someone, you've got to be close with them. To walk with someone, you've got to intentionally take step by step and keep up at their pace. And so I would have to think that Noah spent regular time alone with God. What did your quiet time look like? What do you bring to your quiet time? How do you hear from God? Those are some of the questions we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. When when I get alone in my quiet time, this is the first thing I bring. The next thing I bring, I always make sure that I have something to write with and I have something to write on. 
Because my forgetter works a lot better than my hearer does. <laughs> there have been so many times I've been away, not not intentionally taking a quiet time, but God has spoken something to me. I, I don't have anything to write. I, I'll remember it and I'll write it down when I get back. Guess what? <laughs> I don't remember it when I get back and I forget about it. I've learned how to use the notes on my cell phone. I type a lot of them in like that. But whenever you are intentional about communicating with the Lord, you should come with a heart of expectation of God saying something to you. God, this is your time. This is a time that I want to walk with you each and every day. I want us to meet right here in this specific time. And God, I am coming expecting to hear from you. My Bible's got all kind of highlights, little notes, dates, footnotes in it. But what I often do is I keep notebooks, especially now that I'm preaching on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I've got a notebook just for Wednesday night. We're going through the book of Acts. I'm working on my second notebook for that. I've got a notebook just for Sunday morning sermons, this series that we're going through. If you want all of it, I'll be happy to uh, oblige with that. But I write down so many more notes than what you get during a sermon. I may have five or six different pages of notes, thoughts, things that I've uncovered in research, things that God has spoken to me about. You only get the tip of the iceberg on a Sunday morning sermon. Then on Sunday nights, if we're going through a particular book or studying a character, a biblical character, I, I keep specific notes on that as well. What about you? What are, what are particular verses that God has communicated to you? This is what I want you to be doing right now. This is something that you need to work on in your life. Write it down. I have found that most of the time that I remember it much easier if I write it out because I'm taking the time, I'm letting it soak in, I'm letting it marinate on my mind, I'm going back and I'm looking at it throughout the week. I'm saying, God, what, what exactly are you trying to say through this particular passage and this particular person? But I would have to think that these instructions for the ark came to know at a time when he intentionally got along with the Lord. Say, God, we're in a bind. My family is in trouble. This world is in trouble. What do you want me to do about it? And then God began communicating these instructions to Noah. Anybody listening this morning? You all right out there? Okay. Do you have a time when God can communicate with you? Next, beginning in verse 22, we, we go through the instructions of the ark. God tells him specifically how to build it. He tells him what kind of material it's supposed to be made out of. Noah listened to him. Noah was familiar enough with God's voice that he was able to receive with details information that nobody else in that time and day could. And then when he knew for certain what God was telling him, he did just what God told him to do. He obeyed the instructions that he received. Go back to the book of Hebrews. I want you to see something. Noah just didn't move. He didn't procrastinate. He didn't say, I'm going to put it on my calendar and I'm going to start on it later on. 
But in verse 7, it says that by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, he moved with godly fear. The book of James says that we are to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. God communicates with us for a specific reason and a specific purpose because God has a plan. He wants us and allows us to be a part of it. And God speaks to us as individuals to communicate what we're supposed to be doing during this day and this age. And then God speaks through us. But when God speaks to us, we don't just sit around idly. Do like Noah. You move with godly fear. Because God has a timeline. He has an expiration date. He's got all eternity, but we don't. But when Noah received those instructions... He didn't procrastinate. He didn't hesitate. He moved with godly fear. When's the last time you can honestly say that you moved with godly fear? Maybe the Lord has said to you, I want you to go and witness to this person. I want you to tell them about how much I love them. Most of the times we say, you know, it's just, I'm kind of busy right now. Maybe tomorrow. Or, or maybe God is saying, I want you to help out this charitable organization. Maybe there's a family that needs food. Maybe there's somebody that needs to be visited in the hospital and God is nudging you. He's talking to you and you alone because he has a plan for you and he's got a purpose for you. And he's seen something in you that he hasn't seen in anyone else. When God speaks to you like that, do you instantly respond to it and do you move with godly fear? When you hear a message like you're hearing this morning, what does it compel you to do? What does it motivate you to do? What is God telling you to do right now in this moment? God communicates to us. He speaks to us. But when he does, it then becomes our responsibility and our obligation to respond with godly fear the same way that Noah did. And the last point I want to make is this, is that when a person's desire to follow the Lord in obedience is demonstrated, God speaks to certain people at specific times, but especially when a person has a desire to follow the Lord and that desire is demonstrated through their actions. It's not what we say that matters the most, but what we do is what matters the most. Words are important when they're used correctly, but the one way to verify that what you say is true is by your actions. One way to verify that you truly believe what you say is how you react to it. It's what you do that matters. Jesus said this, he said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look at what happened to Noah. After God gave him these instructions in verse 22, here's what the writer of Genesis has to say. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. 
so he did. Noah was selected among all the people on earth to be someone who is head and shoulders above them in righteousness and faith in his way of living. His faith was validated by his actions. God saw the wickedness of man, but God also saw the obedient heart in Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, unmerited favor. Then God communicated to Noah his plan and what he wanted to do to start over again. And then when Noah got those commands, he demonstrated his faith by going and doing exactly what the Lord commanded him to do. Can you say that of the last thing that God asked you to do? Can you say that I did according to all that God commanded me and that's exactly what I did? Or is God still waiting on you to act on what he last told you to do? He's not going to tell you to do something different. But why would he want to tell you something new to do when you weren't obedient in the last thing he asked you to do? But just think if Noah had not have moved with godly fear. His entire family would have been wiped out. The entire earth would have been wiped out. And Noah would not have had the opportunity to be involved in God's overall plan. How many opportunities do we miss out on on a regular basis by not responding in godly fear to what God has asked us to do? How has your obedience been demonstrated. Obedience to God is not revealed through our words, but it is revealed through our actions. Verse number five, God saw the wickedness of man. Their actions revealed their wickedness and their intents of the heart. Verse number eight, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah's life demonstrated that he was worthy of God's unmerited favor. And it wasn't what Noah said, but the life that he lived that caught God's attention. Verse number 12, God looked upon the earth and it was corrupt except for one man. God saw Noah and knew that there was a chance to start over again. Does your life demonstrate wholehearted faith in God? Do others see the joy of serving Jesus through your life? Do you demonstrate the compassion of Christ by your day-to-day activities? It could be said that God is looking for someone to step up in your family, your community, your school, in ways that he can do a mighty work in and through you. Will you be that person? Will you be the Noah of our generation because God is still looking he's looking for someone that he can do a mighty work through the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself mighty on behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards him I, I feel like that I really don't know why God has held off so long on our nation if you think about the scourge of abortion and the millions of innocent lives that have been slaughtered because of abortion. 
Why would God tolerate that as long as he has? Because just recently, guess what? Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Praise the Lord. But now look at what's going on. Drag queens are still telling stories in our public libraries. And we're remaining silent over it. Our children are being indoctrinated in our public schools. Critical race theory. Many other things going on. Gender neutrality. You name it. This world, this country, this nation is getting wicked by the minute. But God is still giving us the opportunity to repent as a nation. And I feel like he's looking for a person or a group of people that will stand up and say, you know what? I've had enough of this. It's time to do something about it. He's looking for a group of people that will move with godly fear and say, God is good. Jesus saves, and he wants to do something with your life as well. D.L. Moody had this to say, and this is what we're going to close with. D.L. Moody once said this. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. You say, Brother Tracy, God can't use me. Why not? What do you think is holding him back? What's holding you back from being all in on what God wants to do? What's holding you back from saying, God, I want my family to be saved. And I want you to use me in any way possible to reach their hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you drive through a neighborhood every day and say, God, I I feel so sorry for these people. Would you please use me? to impact this neighborhood. Maybe you're in a public school somewhere. You know what's going on. Peer pressure, drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever the case may be. What's keeping you from standing up and saying, God, I want to be the person that you can use. I want you to speak to me in a way that I've never experienced before. And I want your Holy Spirit to work through me and help me to move with godly fear to impact the people that I'm around each and every day. Perhaps you've heard God's voice before and you've put it off and you've put it off and you've put it off. I'm just going to say God's only going to speak to you so many times and then you're going to quit hearing his voice because he's going to move on to somebody else. He's going to look for a heart that's willing to do what he's asking them to do. Perhaps you're here today, you're not a child of God. You don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've heard the gospel many different times. You've had people pray with you. You've had people pray for you. You're here today hearing this message in this congregation, in this church for a reason. It's because God's speaking to you one more time. Will this be your last time? I don't know. I can't say that. Could be. Why not turn your life over to the Lord today? Why not just say, God, I fully surrender to what you want me to do. If you're here today and you're not born again, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the first step is a step of faith by saying, God, I want you in my life. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've gone my own way. 
I'm tired of fighting it and I want to go your way. That's what the Bible says is repentance, is when we turn on our old way of life and we take a step moving towards the Lord. And that's when God makes you a new creation. The Bible says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. You say, God, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago for my sins. And now I ask you to forgive me, and I want to commit my life to following you. And you can start that today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Just like in Noah's day, these days are wicked. Man is corrupt. God's only going to tolerate it so much longer before he draws a line in the sands of time and says, that's the end of it. You've reached your last chance. Even baseball. One, two, three strikes, you're out. Are you on your second strike right now? Is this your last opportunity? I don't know. Here's what you need to know to become a born-again believer. To become a true child of God. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of glory of God. Every one of us is infected with the disease of sin. And the Bible says that along with that sin comes a penalty. It says that the wages of sin is death. And we're all going to die one of these days. These old bodies are going to quit working. They're going to expire. But the death that that's talking about is a spiritual separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The Bible says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God sent his one and only son into this world. He lived a perfect life. He was that one man that lived a holy and righteous life in his time. And he did it for the reason of dying on the cross for our sins. He became that one-time sacrifice for all of man's sins. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now the first step is to confess with your mouth, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I want him as my Lord and my Savior. And you can do that today in just a moment when the music begins. Make your way down that aisle. Don't, don't stay there in that pew. Don't, don't stand there with a death grip on the back of the pew in front of you. Don't stand there like your feet are glued to the ground. As soon as the music begins, if that's something God is speaking to you right now, make your way down this aisle. And I'd love to talk to you and pray with you about beginning that relationship. Because the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And by faith, you can make that first step in a lifelong relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for this word that you've given to us. And Lord, I truly believe that in this congregation today you're speaking to some hearts about living a life for you there are people here that are praying for others there are people here who are doing the best that they can to live a holy and righteous life 
Lord, let them be a light. Let them be a beacon of light to those around them. But Lord, maybe there's someone here who has given up hope. They think that there's no reason for living. And they're thinking that they can't be forgiven of the things that they've done. But your word says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. That price has already been paid and they can find forgiveness at the foot of the cross today. We just thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. We just pray that during this invitation time that people will respond with a willing heart and that they would move with godly fear and be eternally changed. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.